0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley.
1: It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. We are recording this podcast the evening of Super Bowl Sunday. So kind of another ceremonial type thing saying that baseball season is just about here as the football season comes to a close, at least the uh, NFL season. I know we've got the XFL starting here pretty soon, but you know what I'm talking about. As the football season comes to a close and we are into the month of February and before we know it, baseball is going to be played. It's uh, It's just good all the way around. Congratulations, by the way, on making it to the month of February as uh, this is uh, that moment where you can say this is the month where baseball is once again uh, going to be played pitchers and catchers going to be reporting very very soon let's do our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast if you want to get in contact with me best way to do so is via Twitter find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air If you listen to uh, the podcast via Apple Podcast, if you can leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast, that would be great. If you don't listen on Apple Podcast, you listen uh, somewhere else, we appreciate you as well. Uh, But for those of you who do listen on Apple Podcast, uh, that's our number one way of uh, distribution. And always good when we get the opportunity for more people to uh, find the podcast. And uh, finally, a special hello to everybody who is listening as part of of Doug Russell's... Ah, let me say that again. A special hello to everybody listening as part of Doug Russell's Pod Center on 540 ESPN. That should not be a tongue twister, but for some reason it was there a moment ago. Uh, This is uh, part of the 3 to 6 program that Doug puts together every day on 540 ESPN. And uh, for those of you who are listening on 540 and have never heard this before, this is kind of built to be a podcast, so you can find it at WTMJ.com. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Stitcher. You can Consume it the way you consume most podcasts if you are a podcast listener. Coming up on the program this week, we are going to have Jim Goulart, one of our favorite people to talk to uh, from brewerfan.net and a guy who's kind of broken some news in a way uh, during the course of uh, this offseason. We're going to get into that with him coming up in just a little bit. I want to open up the podcast by kind of trying to put my hands around the implications along that go along with the injury to Brewers shortstop Luis Urias. Now, last week on the podcast, we were just coming off the Brewers on deck event, and we knew that uh, he was hurt. We didn't really know if surgery was for sure going to be something that was going to happen. Well, a week later, not only is it clear that surgery is going to be needed, well, he actually had surgery, as uh, he put it out on uh, social media. It's a a hamate bone injury, and the expectation is... Is that he is probably going to uh, be out for about eight weeks before he is ready to resume playing in games. So in all likelihood, he probably will not be available when the team opens up uh, their season on March 26th. They're opening up the season. It feels weird when you open in March, and especially when it's not like the last day in March. But that's neither here nor there here at the moment. They pushed up the opening day uh, a couple years back in order to uh, create some more uh, off days during the course of the season. But all that being said, uh, March 26th, it doesn't seem like he is going to be available. When they went out and acquired him, to me, you make that trade to bring in a guy to be your opening day shortstop. And I know that was never officially stated I think that Orlando Arcia, that his ceiling, because of what he can do from a defensive standpoint, his ceiling is probably higher than the ceiling of a, of a Luis Orías. but from a consistency standpoint, especially from, from an offensive place, you, you look and say, you, you're more focused on what Arcia has not done and the consistency that he has not brought you. And there's also been the case, and I think there's some frustration, you know, last year, I've mentioned this a few times, last year in the end-of-season press conference with Brewers general manager David Stearns, he didn't really mince words when talking about the desire for more offensive production from the shortstop position. And I would think, and nobody's ever said this, but I would think there's some frustration with the fact that they keep they're being forced to challenge Arcia on kind of a year-in-year-out basis. We've seen him get sent down to AAA. We've seen other players get more playing time. There always seems to be a challenge now to Arcia's credit. He tends to answer the challenge, right? And he he tends to lift his game, but there's there's a consistency that was missing. And we've talked about on this podcast the possibility of an Orlando Arcia trade. I think that is much less likely now than it was before because with that ham eight bone injury, even when Orias is back playing, you don't know for sure what it's going to look like. And so I think this does impact this team. He, he shouldn't be out long but he is is he really going to be at 100% when he does return? Is he going to be able to do offensively? He, and he's shown a little bit of pop in his bat. We're going to talk more about that with Jim Goulart here coming up in uh, just a bit. But this injury, it's not great for the team right now. Now, I, I i feel like if the RCA trade, if there was going to be a trade involving him, that's probably something that would have already happened. Uh, at this point, you're thinking that he was going to go into camp in – in a battle for that shortstop position – for now, it is going to be his position, Arcia's position, and when Urias gets back, uh, maybe it, then it becomes a little bit more of a competition, but uh, a bit of a reprieve, at least for a moment, for Orlando Arcea. Again, Jim Goulart is going to be on the program this week. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this week's headlines of the week.
0: It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter, there's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week.
1: So the first headline is what we just talked about here at the beginning of the program with uh, Luis Orias having surgery uh, for the broken handmade bone. Again, eight weeks or so is the expected recovery time for that. So you would think that he is probably going to miss the start of the season and will probably even begin his season in the minor leagues to get some time in before he eventually makes his Brewers debu- debut. Debut. Uh, Brewers do sign a veteran infielder this past week. Andres Blanco was signed to a minor league contract. He receives a non-roster invitation to Major League Spring training. He was in the Brewers organization two seasons ago and uh, spent pretty much the entire season at uh, AAA, which was then in Colorado Springs. Uh, Last year he was in the Braves system, and now he's back, and that creates just a little bit more depth depth and, and veteran depth uh, for this organization right now as they work through the injury to Orias. Uh, Another signing this past week. This is a big league deal, and this makes me a little bit more comfortable. We have talked about it on this podcast. My discomfort with where the bullpen is at, well, this helps. Uh, the Brew- Brewers were able to finalize a deal with uh, relief pitcher David Phelps. It is a one-year contract that also includes a club option for 2021, he's going to make one and a quarter million dollars this upcoming season, and according to uh, MLB.com, that could go up to about 1.9 million dollars based on uh, incentives that are in that. His club option for 2021 is worth four and a half million dollars with a uh, 250 thousand dollar buyout. It also has a 1.9 million dollars in performance bonuses based on appearances. So, for them to pick up the 2021 option, he would have to be. Okay. <laughs> nothing short of incredible in uh, 2020 because that's a little bit more money than I think that they would uh, that they would want to spend, but they do have a club option on them, so potentially a two year deal in all likelihood it is going to be a one year deal and then the invitations have been handed out for Major League Spring Training. Three position players in the system uh, get to come to Major League Spring Training and third baseman Lucas Ersig, who we'll see if he has a bounce back year. Uh, you know, A couple years ago we were looking at this guy as being the third baseman of the future and his trajectory has not continued really at that uh, that same pace. So this is a big season for him. Also a couple catchers who I'm really excited about both these guys. The, when you look at the minor league system and you can say a lot of not so good things about the Brewers minor league system that does not include who they have catching in uh, catcher Mario Feliciano and catcher Peyton Henry. Both those players are going to be able to uh, experience a major league spring training. From a pitching standpoint a bunch of guys uh, are brought into uh, Major League uh, spring training. Excuse me, uh, left-handed pitcher Clayton Andrews, right-handed pitcher Zach Brown. Huge, huge, huge season for Zach Brown coming up. A guy who's been the number one pitching prospect in the organization had a step back year this past year. We'll see if he can get back to uh, where he was this time last year. You really thought that he was going to be making his Brewers debut during the 2019 season, but it was really a rough season for him. Uh, right. Pitcher Thomas Jenkins, uh, right hand pitcher Drew Rasmussen, another guy who he's gonna, I would be shocked. Uh, of every, If I had to choose probably like one guy to make his Major League debut this year, I think he would be it. I thought there was an outside shot that he would have made his Major League debut last year. He is potentially an impact arm out of the bullpen. Uh, Miguel Sanchez, Ethan Small, who was uh, a, an early draftee last year, spent some time with the Timber Rattlers. He's going to rush through the system. I would be surprised if he is in the big leagues this upcoming season, but I would be probably just as surprised if he's not in the big leagues in 2020 Twenty-one, And then Aaron Wilkerson still in the organization. Clearly he's got uh, some big league time and he's going to be uh, part of the uh, spring training uh, camp as well, major league spring training camp as well. So those are uh, this week's headlines of the week. Right now it's time to get to our featured conversation this week being joined by Jim Goulart.
0: After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now.
1: Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to welcome a guy back onto the podcast who we love to talk to and he brought it to my attention after I asked him to do the interview today that it was the second straight year that uh, I had had him on Super Bowl Sunday. I didn't even realize it. Last year, his New England Patriots were in the Super Bowl. This year, uh, not as much, but we're very happy to welcome on uh, Jim Goulart. He is uh, the original link reporter at brewerfan.net. He's done a great job this year uh, through his Twitter account. Check it out at mass underscore Haas if you are interested in what some of the Brewers' prospects and, and maybe major league talent have done uh, at the winter leagues uh, in the winter leagues he's been uh, just an incredible resource throughout uh, this entire baseball season we do welcome Jim onto the program Jim is it odd for you that uh, the Patriots are not uh, Super Bowl uh, not in Super Bowl today you know as a, <laughs> my allegiance is
2: um based here in Massachusetts as the accent gives away once again uh, I, I think i've shared the story once or twice but my dad was a big uh football and hockey guy celtics were always big in in, in my generation growing up so um I, I was left on my own resource to find a baseball team and uh it was in the early 70s i'm an i'm an older guy now and uh, I grabbed onto your franchise based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and here we are, for me, uh, 40-something years later, and we're talking on your podcast, still about the Brew Crew, from, from lovely uh, at Massachusetts. So how about that?
1: Yeah, it's cool, and, and you are an incredible resource for, for Brewers fans. I don't know if anybody out there does a better job... Of just finding things. Uh, All of a sudden, something will happen. It doesn't even have to happen in the United States. A lot of this Winter League stuff that you've uh, uncovered, the Luis Urias uh, injury, the fact he hadn't played in a while, that started to really uh, originate with you. Uh, Before we get into that, I guess as somebody who Really watches what's going on in the winter leagues probably closer than just about anybody else out there what has struck you or who has maybe uh, impressed you just based off what you've read and the box scores and everything and the accounts that are out there what has uh, what has stuck with you from uh, Brewers players that have taken part in Winter league baseball this year
2: sure Matt and, and I'm not native of any of those uh, Latin American countries believe me so uh, I thought it, it seemed like there was just a niche there's so many great Brewer references that have developed in the internet era over the past 20 years. And um, although the box scores and such are readily available, uh, they can be found on MLB.com, it really wasn't something that people were pointing out on a regular daily basis like we might do during the minor league seasons with our, our link reports on Brewer fan or so many different uh, available resources on the major league team. So, if I'm just hoping to contribute, and I always tell the story that if I'm looking for something, it's because I'm interested in it, and if I find something well i am guessing that there are other Brewer diehard fans out there that would be as well, so that's where the whole winter league uh, niche came about, because nobody else was really following it as closely as I saw an opportunity to Now I will say that in past years, I've gone even a bit deeper and given like daily here's your box score, and so-and-so went 0 for 3 today. And, you know, there's a point where that just becomes overkill. And this year was kind of fascinating because it wasn't a large number of uh, brewer, um whether it's farmhand or big leaguers, who made appearances in winter ball. In fact, it was probably the smallest number in a few years. Um, but the ones who did were pretty prominent. And it, it started for me with... Um, really catching my eye was when Freddie Peralta uh, jumped in fairly late in his Dominican winter league regular season. And, uh, we can talk about how he just appeared and then all of a sudden, okay, he's a stat line. I get, I've got somebody to follow here. And with Twitter, uh, there's, it's just a passionate fan base, mm-hmm. as you might guess. And, uh, it was really apparent very quickly that Peralta made a splashy debut, which was right at the tail end of their regular season. And I'm not sure if it's really clear, but the postseason isn't what we think of in in U.S. ball in terms of they do this round-robin tournament that seems to extend for weeks on end. And uh, really the stat lines end after the Winter League regular season. So now all of a sudden you get this round-robin tournament, and unless you're following pretty closely and keeping track of some stat lines, you kind of lose track of how these players are doing. But with Peralta, it was a peer with a bang, and then subsequently all of a sudden now, rabbit fan base, now they're in the round-robin playoffs, now you're getting tweets that include video, uh, comments, comments. Um, 95-mile-per-hour, 98-mile-per-hour heat, 85-mile-per-hour off-speed pitches. You try to catch glimpses of those. And um, before we move on to anybody else, I'll just tell you that I have remained just a, a huge all-in on Freddie Peralta diehard before this winter season began. I just think he's, he's got a special something about him, both uh, in that arm, in that personality, that uh, really has me excited for the spring. And Where do you think he's going to land when they say they're going to stretch him out? If he's demonstrating the kind of stuff that he showed this winter and that we think he's capable of, somebody might need to make room in that five-man rotation.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I've always thought that his best is better than anybody else's best that the Brewers have but consistency has been an issue, and then I've also thought that he profiles more as a relief pitcher because he's been a two-pitch pitcher. Now, there's been reports out there that he has not been a two-pitch pitcher here in Winter Ball, and you would be more able to speak on that than I would. If if he's a legit three-pitch guy who can just find some level of consistency, then yeah, he's he's a starter, but if he's a two-pitch guy where there's still some consistency on what he's going to give you, one start to the next, I think he's somebody who can be a big asset in the bullpen.
2: And it's not just that, too. And as far as that, I mean, even if he plays off his fastball a little bit in terms of uh, one that might not hit 98, but it's hitting 95, 96 with some additional cut, um, the slider just looked wicked. And whatever he's doing in terms of the slider, whether he's, he's dropping down a little bit and, you know, having the the velocity drop a bit on that as well, um, you can call it whatever you want. So you can call it a, a you know a it's not a it's not a slurve, but it it's not ripping it. It's not a Syndergaard slider type of pitch. It's it's whatever he's doing. It was working. It was dynamite in terms of strikeouts. Uh, people looked overmatched in the video that we did tweet out and make available. And there was just no end to it. That's the thing. There was no, um, I mean, look, I think it was only six appearances overall, stretched out to five innings in each of his last two appearances. But there wasn't a blip. And, you know, these are 4A lineups they're facing down there in the Dominican. But um, still, when there's dominance, there's dominance. Um, He was excited in his his post-game, you know, quotes and appearances. So he's feeling good. Um, I didn't hear too much from him specifically um, on Brewers on Cap. I was hoping that we could get a little more in terms of interviews um, from Freddie on that because his English just continues to improve all the time as well. Um, we just know, however, Matt, how critical those two and sometimes even two plus inning uh, relief stints can be. And especially with Corey Knebel not available till June. Um, I think what's exciting for me about Freddie is he can be super valuable in either role, and they'll have to make that decision for 2020. It's probably, I think, going to be in that two, three-inning role in coming in middle relief. But, um, boy, it's nice to have in your back pocket that uh, you extend him a little bit. And certainly for 2021 20, and beyond – that' That's a pretty exciting arm,
1: uh, yeah, and uh, Brewers always like to remind people that it takes you know ten or so starters to get through the course of the season, so just because he were were to start in the bullpen, if a need arises, that doesn't mean that he's not starting at some point during the course of the season
2: exactly, so um I'm just a huge fan. Uh, I know that it seems like in the I hate calling the Brewer fandom, you know the casuals and the diehards, but um there's some that follow it more closely than others. I think casuals are very quickly quick to dismiss Peralta sometimes based on the walks, based on the occasional um regular season blow up appearance at the big league level. But my goodness, like you said, the stuff is just so tantalizing and um very glad he's he's in a brewer uniform, that's for sure. I, I, I guarantee you that um if if Josh Hader um you know wasn't being wasn't discussed in trade rumors that there are still teams that are, would be very intrigued by Freddy Peralta's arm for sure.
1: Yeah, he's and we'll get back to the Winter League stuff here in a second, but because we're talking about him, he's always going to be connected to Corbin Burns because it was those two individuals who were two of the three young guys that were placed in the rotation to start this past season, and it didn't work out. Woodruff was the guy that did work out. But I think people are quick to dismiss Corbin Burns as well. And Jim, you've seen it as somebody who really watches what's going on in the minor leagues. Young players have bad seasons, and their their development and their the, the process of you know getting to your best is not just this you know line that goes straight up and, and to the right. There's there's bumps that goes along with it, and you know if Corbin Burns would have had his bad season at Triple A, then we're talking about a guy who has to repeat Triple A. But there's still a lot of excitement about him. He it happened at the big league level, so you know. We, we don't know what's going to happen with Corbin Burns. Maybe that's who he is, but also maybe it's not. Maybe that was just a stumbling season, as we see very often in the uh, development process. So while people are quick to kind of throw away Freddie uh, Peralta, I think sometimes people are the same way about Corbin Burns. And to me, it's safer to view Burns more as the way he was being viewed even prior to this past season. I have a little
2: bit of a tough time going back to, let's say, March 2019, um, in terms of, of Burns, it was just, that it was just time after time. It was just, uh, he's up, give him a shot, he's, let's get him back down, get him straightened out, bring him back. Um, I, I love the whole Corbin Burns potential as much as anybody, but more so, more than Peralta, um, he's got to prove more to me in, in 2020, uh, including this spring. Um, really anxious to see it, it just was mystifying that um, somebody could miss so you know could miss as much as he was in the zone and getting crushed for it each time um, it was it was painful as a lot of us know and it um, just really wasn't a whole lot of justification for it and I'm sure it's Flummoxed to fl- a good word. Flum- uh, sure. Flummoxed a lot of the, uh, the brewer pitching coach staffs as well.
1: And the the clear difference being where my analogy breaks off is Peralta did find some success this past season. There were there were times out of the bullpen that he looked absolutely dominant. Burns never had that. So to your point, the difference being Peralta never or Peralta did have some success. Burns had pretty much zero. Yeah.
2: And, and that's um, the rotation. I'm not so they, they, you know They love their, their minor league options in this, uh, in this organization. And most organizations do, but boy, I, I really know that David Stearns and that group um, just covet them. Uh, Jake Faria, he was the first one sacrificed from the 40 man roster recently. Uh, no minor league options left. Uh, Diolis Guerra, no minor league options left. I believe the only other pers- uh, reliever in that area right now is um, excuse me one second is Ray Black. Yeah. Who really, you know, I mean, I don't think he can write his ticket to automatically being there on opening day and, and carrying it through a 162 game season. Um, his inconsistencies um, won't be able to be straightened out at San Antonio, so. Um, there's a reason that, uh, this, this pitching staff, um, is pretty much, I would say locked in in terms of who we know is going to be there. Um, it's amazing. We always learn when the Brewers media guide comes out, uh, I guess this year, it'll be fairly early in March with this, with the March 26th opening day, but, um, they give us the final number on minor league options. We've, we've tracked it pretty well at Brewer Fan. We've had about a 98% track record of, of being accurate there with the page that we maintain. Um, but we did learn um, in a Q&A with Adam McAlvey, he pursued it, and we found out that Taylor Williams had a fourth option this year. So he's available to be bounced up and down. Guys like Yardley, uh, Eric Yardley, the newcomer, Devin Williams, um, of course, Trey Shupak. Angel Perdomo just got added to the 40-man options. All Fire Horizon, um, JP, the Wisconsin native. You know, barring just absolute dominance in spring training, I think these guys know they're going to be riding the San Antonio shuttle, and that's okay. Um, this is how the Brewers have built their 40-man roster. Um, I do have one thought about that. If you, Let me just go on just for a second. Yeah, absolutely. On? Yeah. The, the, a lot of the depth in this beleaguered, uh, as far as the rankings go, in terms of the, um, the minor league system, which we know has been ranked, you know, at, at best bottom five among all the major outlets. But there is depth at the lowest ranks, and particularly in the international markets. And obviously, those guys are still years away. But we're going to be have different. We're going to be having different conversations a couple of years from now, because for some time. Brewers' 40-man roster has been peppered with guys who are basically already at AAA. I think Trey Schupak's first year, when he was basically at Biloxi most of the year, was an outlier. But they've been burned on like the Marcos Diplon kind of guys. It just doesn't work out when you have to add people to the 40-man roster fairly early in their careers, while they're at high A or double A. But when these youngsters in the international market a couple years from now... They're going to be forced, the Brewers will be, to start adding some of these high-end potential guys um, to their 40-man, while well, perhaps they're only still at Carolina or at Double A, we It's going to be a little trickier having the conversations we have um, for the past few years, including this year. This year, based on options, we kind of know what's going to be happening um, on the roster, and that includes the outfield, where you look at who's there now. Ben Gamble's kind of locked in as yeah. fifth guy. And, and think of that, too. Last August, they, they realized they were on top of everything, Matt. They looked and said, Ben Gamble's struggling. Let's get him straight at San Antonio. But let's send him down in mid-August so that his option is less than 20 days long when we bring him back up, when rosters expand. And voila, Ben Gamble's got an active option still right. available for 2020. So they play the game about as well as anybody in that regard.
1: Do you agree with this? And I get a. I get accused of whether it's carrying water for the organization, being a homer, all those accusations come my way, and that's fine. I don't think I am, but I get accused of it. I've thought that with the state of the Brewers minor league system what it precludes them from doing is probably making big trades for major league talent. They just they don't have the prospect capital that's going to be viewed by other teams to be good enough to go out and you know if Nolan Arnato is going to get traded, I don't think he's going to get traded to the Brewers because I don't think they've got enough in the minor league levels. But at the same time, I think the Brewers are really good at taking non-top 100 prospects as viewed by Major League Baseball and still turning these into guys who contribute at the Major League level. So I continue to be confident in the system's ability to get guys who can help at the Major League level even if they're not going to help produce big trades. That's kind of how I view the system. Would you agree or disagree with me with that general statement?
2: No, I definitely agree. Um, I think that when we look back at the 2008 2008- 18 trade, trade deadline in particular, um, they were able to take enough of the um, uh, Cody Mairass and Demi Ormalloys, who got uh, Curtis Grandison, by the way, who retired this week, um, they, they had enough capital at that time to get mid-year help. And this organization, capping it off last year with the incredible, you know, Jordan Lyles and Drew Palmerants. You know acquisitions and what they did. They've proven that they have the ability to identify people who are going to help them as of August first, and that guess what? We have enough to, to trade a Mauricio Dubon and get that type of of player and take that risk without having to take a huge risk in, in you know unloading high end prospects who, frankly, they don't have. Um, I think in particular this year, there's a real gap, um, you know, from, from high A to the triple A where it's just, I don't want to say devoid, um, but especially on the position player side of things, I think there's some arms that could intrigue, but then again, we saw that none were grabbed in rule five and, um, is probably, uh, you're right. It's, I know that part of the, the press force, the Brewers is, is fond of saying that, uh, Brewers think more highly of their own players, particularly pitchers, than other organizations. And uh, I guess that's proven proven to bear more often than not.
1: All right, let's get back to Winter League stuff here for a moment because uh, we found out about the Luis Urias injury uh, during winter ball, and from what we were told at On Deck w- and prior to On Deck was it was not a, a single thing that happened. He wasn't hit by a pitch. He didn't you know slide into a base or anything. It, it was a gradual thing, and sometimes that's more worrisome than the other. It was a ham eight bone injury. He has had surgery. The start of his season very much in question. It doesn't look good for him beginning the season, but it shouldn't be much more than a month into the season that he's able to uh, return. Kind of a two-part question here. A, what did you take away from what he had been doing in winter ball and B what do you think about the major league implications of him missing the start of the season
2: as soon as we saw that you know, his batting line was was getting down in Mexico um, obviously it was something to follow and I did make a point of highlighting um, that he got off to a bit of a slow start but then it was just a lot of multi-hit games an extended hit streak um, showing some pop I pointed out that he's never been a successful base stealer on a percentage basis, even through his career um, with, with the Padres in the minor leagues, and that he was really um, almost on a nightly basis uh, attempting to steal um, in Mexico, um, again just teetering on that maybe sixty to seventy percent success rate, but clearly something he was working on. And then um, there again, there they're extended round robin. Began and uh, he left one game early, but then did come back the next game with a, like it was an 0 for 5. And then it, it's not difficult to do from my, my research standpoint um, is is just you, you know, maybe put Luis, you're in your quotes and go to the Twitter timeline and, and search on all references. And thank goodness for Twitter Translate as well. But it did catch my eye, and this was early, this was like January 8th or 9th. And it mentioned a hand at the time. So, incredibly, the very first tweet or reference that I saw to this turned out to be fairly accurate because it wasn't a wrist. It was it was a bone in the hand. Of course, that wasn't specifically said at the time. It was just that he's being analyzed for a hand injury. And then a day or two later, there's a reference to being, it was probably back stateside it would have been a better reference as opposed to saying back to Milwaukee. Um, Long story short is, this was like on January 9th or 11th, and I'm, I don't want to say I was tweeting in, in, you know silently in the wind, but it, it, it wasn't getting traction in terms of like, okay, I mentioned it a couple of times, let's see where this goes. And then finally there were some additional references, and these would have been from more traditional um, Latin newspapers or Mexican newspapers or um, journalists. Down there, and I'm like, this this has to get some traction here.' There's, there's something wrong. And um finally, I guess that you know there was some confirmation um, from the team. i I think, and I'm not going to second guess the injury process here or the how they analyzed it. I'm just it sounds like they brought them brought him up fairly quickly, but from the time he had the surgery to when I first saw instances of it mentioned, it was close to three weeks and you wonder if anything could have been analyzed a little more quickly to be more available for the start of the regular season, but they're not going to rush anything. And that includes the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm guessing it all handled well. One last thing on that is, is that David Stearns continued to say, um, you know, we should know more midweek or something like that. And then boom, like within, 12 hours of the Brewers on tap, you know, Arias is sending out his own Instagram pictures that, you know, not, schedule's not, surgery's not scheduled. It's taking place. Here I am. Yeah. And um, then the Brewers had to react to that. Matt, the Brewers um, in the off season, they kind of control the narrative on all this, right? I mean, we can't be, they're not in Miller Park. They're not in opposing ballparks with press corps and all that. So, You know, when did we learn about Tyrone Taylor, right? Who apparently had um, some work done as well, correct? Mm -hmm. And now that was back in the fall or or late fall, I guess. But we find out about it in in mid-January. And that's because we're not seeing the injury on the ball field or we're not seeing somebody drop from the 25-man roster at this time of year due to, you know, injury concerns. So... They kind of control the narrative as to who finds out what, when, and um, in this case, you know, maybe a tweet or two kind of pressed the issue in terms of the public knowing about the Aria situation. We were going to find out eventually, but um, I think they probably rolled their eyes a bit and went, oh, there's Jim again with his tweets. (laughs) We we need to make a comment on it, which I don't do that to to tweak them or anything. I just... uh, I just find it interesting that a guy who was projected as perhaps the opening day shortstop uh, fans needed to know about it.
1: Yeah, and look, the other side of that is they're, they're, you know, Orlando Arcia is somebody that could have potentially been traded, and I guess he still could be, but that would be a bit more of a gamble now. And they brought him in clearly to challenge Arcia, and that challenge can still happen at some point, but that's sort of a back burner challenge now because uh, Arcia is going to be the guy going into spring training. This injury, you know, bringing him in, was a twofold thing: a to play shortstop, and when they made the move, I thought, okay, this is going to be the opening day shortstop for the Brewers, but the other side of it is another challenge to Arcia, and unfortunately, that's become a theme, whether it's giving other guys playing time, whether it was sending him down to AAA, this is what, the the third straight year, it seems like, where they've had to challenge him in, in some sort of way, but the, they're, at least for the moment, their hands are a little bit tied at shortstop, uh, and, and they're going to have to move forward, you would think, with Orlando Arcia.
2: Yeah. And, and the whole, when Urias does come back and is available and, and he'll see obviously some minor league time for us, there's the whole hemate bone issue and, and power Not that you're counting on him to be a 25 home run guy, but he was showing glimpses of expanding that part of his game. Um, whether it was the juice triple a ball or his winter league work. So, um, that'll always be a little bit of a note and something to keep an eye on. Um, I don't want to say RC is getting a pass, but, uh, he, he he needs to realize that uh you know that he was being challenged and just because it's going to be delayed by a few weeks, um the the challenge isn't gone away. Just wanted to comment real quick is that um as far as just wrapping up the winter ball thing, um Mario Feliciano um saw quite a bit of time in his native Puerto Rico. Remember he just turned twenty one um within the past couple of months. Um acquitted himself pretty well. Um in terms of the the you know the, the traditional stat lines, so to speak, a um, little devoid on some of the power, but more walks than we've seen from him on the minor league level. So young, he was doing a lot of DHing um, throughout that season, and I'm sure, well, let's not say sure, but let's say pretty sure that that came from mandate. Yeah, uh, Mario. You know, enjoy time in your native country, play in front of your fans. But we need to save those legs. We need to save that arm and uh, have some fun getting your cuts down at uh, and, and the DH level. Um, one player, one pitcher that to keep an eye on as well, um, Luke Barker um, is a reliever who did not need to be added to the 40-man yet. Not quite enough time despite his somewhat advanced age um, coming out of indie ball. All he's ever done is dominate. If there's one pitcher who might be plucked even ahead of some of the 40-man roster guys just based on dominance in the first couple of months of the AAA season, um, keep an eye on Luke Barker. He did well down in the Dominican for himself as well.
1: I'm glad you mentioned both those guys because they're both a couple of my favorites in the organization. From a catching standpoint, the Brewers are in really good shape when you look at the fact that they have Mario Feliciano and Peyton Henry, and both guys received invitations to big league camp this past week. Uh, it seems like a lot of people are a little bit more high on Henry than Feliciano. For me, everything I've seen from Feliciano says this guy can be a front-line catcher in the big leagues. That's a, that's a position of strength right now in the minor league system.
2: Absolutely. I think... Um I'm not sure if they'll be tag team buddies again at A this year like they were at IA Carolina last year where they almost had a 50-50 split in time between time behind the plate, DH, um, just being active, um, both so young but still gaining valuable experience. Um, yeah, the team's in good shape. Um, our, my question is, and one of the guys that I'm curious, I believe he's going to be out of options as of now, I know he's, Failed pretty miserably in the pinch-hitting role but um, last September. But the Brewers are carrying David Freitas um, all winter long, right, on the 40-man yeah. roster. Yep. You've got 26-man rosters now where um, it looks like it's locked in where you can't have more than 13 pitchers. So every club's going to be adding one additional uh, bench player for the Brewers, it's going to have. To, it won't be an outfielder. It's going to have to be an infielder or a um, or at that third catcher. And it, it, the only way it's going to be a third catcher is if that third catcher can be a valuable um, bat off the bench in that pinch hitting role. So, look, Triple A spiked ball, whatever. David Fuentes at three eighty one last year over an awful lot of at bats. I mean, that is just you just don't do that you know, getting up out of bed and, and making that happen. Um look not saying he's gonna be the even the thirteenth most valuable position player in the organization at the big league level this year, but they have made a conscious decision to carry four catchers throughout the winter. Jacob Nottingham does have his final option left and um let's see if they might be waiting for other organizations to lose catchers due to injury or something, but that's just one other thing to watch as well.
1: And let's not forget last year, it was Freitas who got the call, not Nottingham. Nottingham eventually got it when uh, Manny Pena went down. I think it was a concussion, if I remember correctly, down the stretch of the season, and that's when Nottingham got the choice. But it, it certainly seemed like in the proverbial catching depth chart, we saw Freitas jump over Nottingham last season.
2: Yep, and the term they used at the time was that they they really wanted somebody who the pitchers were comfortable with and more familiar with, and that would have been Nottingham. Um, So with Freitas having a full uh, spring training in camp with everybody this year, um, look, if he's he's approaching any type of uh, strength with the bat, as he was able to show for Rick Sweet on that San Antonio team last year, um, it may be a viable place to have that third catcher available and right-handed bat off the bench. Um, We shall see for sure.
1: I've been on record for the past month or so saying the two areas for the Brewers that I've been not totally comfortable with have been third base and also in the bullpen. They do a little something about that second thing this past week in that they signed uh, David Phelps. That makes me a little bit more comfortable. I mean, this seems like just kind of a nice piece to add to the bullpen. Did that signing do anything for you?
2: Yeah, it just convinced me that it was just another piece of uh, one-year short money deals with options that are not going to be picked up next year. Um, it's funny, they always have that, that day, um, it's you know option pickup day, whether you're going to uh, decline or pick them up. And um, through all these signings that you've seen, so you look at some of the money, and in Phelps' case in particular, if what's been described as true, he also has incentives built into his 2021 deal that would, you do the math, and if he really explodes next year, it's like a 6 or $7 million deal. So, you know, already I'm saying to myself, well, enjoy him in 2020, and we'll see where this goes. Um, I've heard you speak with some of your other guests on prior week podcasts, and the topic has been, has this this year disappointed or excited you this offseason, I just think that um, they need, the Brewers will need to live and David Stearns will need to live with the consequences. He's either going to bask in incredible glory over genius of how he put together um, a reduced payroll yet still um, hopefully highly competitive team. But unlike past years, if, if 2018 or 19 had blown up somehow, There would have been a lot of, well, heck of a try, David, you know, um, Grandal and Moustakis and the big names. That's not going to be the case this year. I think the fan base is going to be fairly quick to um, abandon ship, of course, but to to take a a little bit of a, a, a crooked eye and say, gee, what was the strategy coming in? We all saw this coming. I hope it doesn't come to that. I don't think it will. But um, I'll let you jump in there, but then I just will get on a related basis as far as how the other divisions are lining up and some folks that moved over to the American League. This this whole thing looks wide open, don't you think? Oh,
1: totally. Absolutely. I mean, the Reds are the most improved team in the division, and they're still the Reds. I I don't know what that's. I'm always somebody. I always say this about the Cleveland Browns this last couple of years when people thought they were going to be better. They're still the Browns until they're not the Browns anymore. Like the right. Reds are still the Reds until they're not the Reds anymore. And I'll you know when if the Pirates at some point in time have an off season that looks like what the Reds just said, I'll, I'll say the exact same thing about them. You know, you gotta you gotta prove to me that you are actually something before I'm really going to you know buy into it. But nobody in the division is improved outside of the Reds, and we don't know how no, much the Reds are improved. And in the East, they're just going to beat the looking,
2: living heck out of each other. And the Marlins are improved, yeah, and, and probably will, be, will spoil some of those games. So that's what you have to hope for, because I, it looks to me, uh, boy, I'm a fan of, of what Hazen and, and the, the Diamondbacks have done. They just look like they're getting ready to be a— a tremendous force in the National League and a challenge to the Dodgers, even. But the other, the Padres—that's another team that you'll say, you know, wake me up when the Padres actually do something. So, Padres, Giants, Rockies—no, no, no, sir. Um, NL Central is up in the air, and if the East beats itself up as much as I'm hoping, or maybe only if one team pulls away, that second wild card to the Diamondbacks, Dodgers combo. Is there for the central so that's my hope um, of course I want to see the NL central title and, and all that goes with it um, in terms of you know avoiding the wild card and home games in the playoffs and all that but um, I think you know Donaldson leaving to Minnesota um, just I'm really counting on the East beating itself up and and the same thing in the central but let's see what happens
1: As always, you have taken a lot of time, and I appreciate that. Before I let you go, I want to talk to you about this because you are somebody that really is keeping a very close eye on the minor leagues and... We don't know what minor league baseball is going to look like after this upcoming season with uh, the reports out there. Major League Baseball wants to contract 40-plus teams, wants to do some other kind of wacky things with basically creating a new, what is essentially an independent league, even though nobody is calling it that right now. Uh, It seemed like conversations were maybe going in the right direction, and then this past week we get statements from both sides basically kind of going back at each other. What's your takeaway from everything that's happening right now in terms of potential minor league contraction? Well,
2: there are aspects of the MLB plan that I completely understand and, in fact, even to some extent agree with. Um, I think you've got college players, Division One players, with starting seasons as early as late January, right? And they're playing through... The, the entire spring, their tournaments, maybe even the College World Series, I don't need to see the draft take place when it currently does. And I don't need to see, for instance, Ethan Small get in his three or four appearances at, You know, with the Timber Rattlers. God love the Timber Rattlers. They'll, they'll, they'll get them, don't worry. But maybe not that first year. So the delayed draft, to me, makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not a fan of the reduced draft. I don't think you need to go from 40 to 20 rounds. That's To me, that's somewhat silly. I think 30 rounds would be a fair compromise in that regard. So, okay, so now we've got a 30-round draft that takes place later in the year. What do you do with the Pioneer League, and the which is the league that, let's face it, it's the Colorado Springs short-season franchise that affects the crew and the other teams and leagues around it? It's... The travel in that league is a bear. There's no private planes to get these kids from one spot to another. Colorado Springs is a haul from all the Montana sites and stuff. It's brutal. At the same time, just because you don't have the kids from the 2020 draft ready to play next, well, you know what I mean. I mean, I think if you take a look at the Maryvale complex right now, the number of kids there between the Maryvale squads and the DSL squads, it's, it's really high. It's enough that they can still put together a Pioneer League team um, to compete beyond next year without the new dra- newly drafted kids. And these would be kids that would have at least a couple of years in Maryvale under their belts. There's a reason all these clubs, they now have two teams in the, in the camp leagues, whether it's in Florida or Arizona, um, the organi- MLB organizations are saying, we've got too many players. Well, you're the one that keeps adding them at yeah. the complex level. Um, I wish there was a better way around the travel, um, but gee whiz, these these minor league organizations and those fan bases, they contribute so much in charities and other things that are measurable. I, I don't get the whole Dream League thing. It just... It's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough call. It's going to be an ugly ending. I think MLB is going to win in the end. and um, But that's my take, is that I'm okay with the late draft, okay with a slightly reduced number of rounds, and I think there's enough young players in the camp right now in Maryvale that will be there this spring training that even without a new round of players coming in mid-year for the draft, um, you could still field... Pioneer League teams and be just fine.
1: What what kind of makes me curious about and, and you alluded to it, but let me be a little bit more direct about about something. When you're a smaller market team, and I know it, right now in baseball and the amount of money that's coming in, small market teams can still you know punch above their weight to use a, a Mark Antinacio term, uh, and, and that's happening. But that being said, the at, at no point in time, if the if both the Brewers and the Yankees spend to their 100% level of what the, how far they can push it, the Brewers and the Yankees are never going to be able to spend the same amount of money. It's always going to be the Yankees, the Dodgers, the, the big market teams that can go spend more money. And something that smaller market teams, and I worked in the minor league system of uh, Kansas City for a while, and we saw this, and th- this was before they changed the draft rules but the Royals were really good at uh, drafting guys who were had draftability issues and then going above slot on them and spending a bunch of money in the draft. And while they're spending money in the draft, spending a lot of extra money in the draft was nothing compared to going and spending a lot of extra money at the major league level. So what, what player development and what what having many players in your system has been, t- like the, what it's been able to do for teams is they have not been forced to go spend all this money uh, at the major league level instead they can spend a little bit more money at the minor league level and hopefully they can hit on some guys and it's something that has helped smaller market teams so I find it a little bit odd that one of some of the teams that are really pushing this are some of the smaller market teams that's a that's a long long kind of thing for you to comment on but that's something that confuses me about the whole thing.
2: No, you've worded it well. I mean, I think with the draft slotting and the draft pools and such, um, the teams are already at a bit of a. You know, the, the, it's already kind of leveled it and, and kind of eliminated some of the big advantages that the small market uh, teams had in that regard. Um, but it's. You no, know, I was kind of hoping that on uh, Brewers on tap, it was it was never going to happen, but. Um, if, if Mark Adonacio or David Stearns were asked to just say, you know, do you have a comment for the, the fans of Colorado Springs who um, welcomed short-season ball last year? They're getting to, ready to host an all-star game in the summer of 2020. Uh, you know, what would you have to say to say to them? And it would have been an awkward question. It would have been an awkward answer that really didn't answer anything. So I'm, I'm not upset that it wasn't asked, but... Um, you would like to know kind of the inner thinking there, and I, I kind of know what it is. It's um, look, we've got this beautiful sixty million development complex in Maryville, and uh, to my point, I'm like, it's it's ten weeks, guys. It's ten weeks, twelve weeks in the summer, um, July, August, part of September. If you can't get those, some of those kids to play in, you know, places like Colorado Springs and Billings and stuff like that for 10 weeks, then there's an issue. You know, you've got coaches, you've got all the trainers and everything. All you've got is some is some tough travel and maybe some ballparks that are a little, could use some sprucing up. But to just decimate it, that that's tough.
1: Well, Jim, uh, we encourage everybody. We've I've taken a lot of time, and for people listening, we're actually recording this just prior to the Super Bowl, which is going to kick off in just a little bit. So I am going to let you go for now. encourage everybody to follow you on Twitter at Mass underscore Haas, M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. Of course, uh, get involved at BrewerFan.net. It's an incredible Brewers uh, community, which uh, Jim is a big part of as well. Jim, thank you so much for your time, and we'll do this again real soon. Thanks,
2: Matt. You guys uh, take care and uh, hope all is well. And, uh, yep, and let's get ready because the season's almost here, believe it or not.
1: Jim Goulart joining us here on Brewers X Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. As we are into February, we're about a week and a half out from pitchers and catchers reporting. That is a week from Wednesday, Wednesday the 12th. Uh, they will report to Arizona. Position players will then report a few days later on Monday the 17th. The first full squad workout is scheduled for Tuesday the 18th. And then the first spring training game is is scheduled for Saturday the 22nd. And uh, we <laughs> just get rolling from there, right? And, and before we know it, it is going to be time for uh, Baseball That uh, Matters. Uh, opening day is going to be on Thursday, March 26th. That is going to be against the Cubs. I do also want to uh, remind you about a couple uh, exhibition games that are going to be played at Miller Park on Monday the 23rd against the Royals and also Tuesday the 24th also against the Royals. So uh, looking forward to uh, what's going to be coming up uh, in those games as well. Uh, As always, there's going to be a lot of spring training games that are on the radio, both on WTMJ, across the Brewers Radio Network, on 94.5 ESPN. We started doing that uh, last year. Great that uh, now that uh, WTMJ and uh, 94.5 ESPN, all part of the uh, Good Karma Brands uh, family, we're able to uh, get some more spring training games on the air and put them on 94.5 ESPN, which is really, really cool. And uh, each week during spring training on this podcast, I will give you an update on uh, what's going to be on where that you are going to be able to listen to. All right, that is it for this edition. My uh, thanks to Jim Goulart for joining us. Always great to talk to him. And we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.